0: You always say you've been recording the whole time, and I don't know whether I should ever believe you. <laughs> um so welcome to the Bowie Book Club. I'm Christiane.
1: And I am Greg.
0: And we have had a book club for well over a decade now. Oh my god, so long. (laughs) We read a lot of books. Sometimes we talked about them.
1: Mostly we just got drunk and gossiped.
0: But at the sad loss of David Bowie in 2016, we decided to get our act together and read through his list of 100 most influential books in no particular order.
1: In fact, in a completely nonsensical order.
0: And make wild speculation as we went.
1: So what do we read this time?
0: We read that train book. <laughs> Not oh. the one that we read last month, but a different train book.
1: <laughs> I, I see. Yeah. A, a much uh, happier train book.
0: We read Mystery Train by Grail Marcus. I just love that name, Grail.
1: Yeah. It, it just kind of rolls off the tongue.
0: Yeah. It's a nice name. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't think
1: that was the only good thing about the book.
0: No. What, uh, what do you have to say about Mr. Marcus?
1: Well, he's written every book about rock music ever.
0: He is uh, like one of the earliest uh, pop music critics, right?
1: Right. Yeah, I think his his oeuvre starts in the '70s, and and he's still writing today. And you can go to his website, grailmarcus.net, dot net, and he'll answer your questions. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So we'll have to think of something to ask him. Yeah. Um But he he's written tons of books, tons of magazine articles. He had a column in The Village Voice Forever, and I I think it's still running on, like, barnesandnobles.com. Some of his books include uh, Lipstick Traces, which is an amazing book about, uh, if I remember right, punk in England. Uh, A book called In the Fascist Bathroom, which is a great title. (laughs)
0: That's great.
1: Uh, Invisible Republic, which I think is about uh, Bob Dylan and the band. And the history of rock and roll in 10 songs.
0: Hmm. And this one, Mystery Train, it was uh, one of his earliest? One of his first?
1: Yeah, Um, it came out in 1975.
0: That was the first edition, but there's been like an edition every six or seven years or so.
1: Yep, Um, and and, and, uh, I got the sixth edition, which I think came out in 2010.
0: I have the fifth edition, which was 2008. Um, I bought mine used because I think that almost every of the m- one of the music books that we've read for David Bowie's list, I've either gotten from the library or gotten a used copy. And I'll confess why. Because tell, tell all. I need other people's notes in these books to help me.
1: <laughs> Were there notes in this?
0: Yeah, there was like underlinings and things, not notes, which I'm sad about because I wanted to see what someone said, like, so true or something in the the side margin. But there was... Randy Newman
1: really is terrible.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But I really do appreciate reading um, used or library books with I know librarians I'm so sorry that people are not supposed to underline in books but I think it was song and songs of the city that I read from the library and I really was grateful for the underlinings of other people who read it before me.
1: Right. Yeah. I I actually I I bought my copy uh probably about 3 years ago. Um, without remembering it was on the list, it was just on sale at Elliott Bay Book Company here in Seattle. Um, so I got a deal on it. It was only like 3
0: $4. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. And but I'd it doesn't say it's have, worth much more than that. It
0: doesn't have underlining in it, does it?
1: Yeah, only mine.
0: Okay. Mine I, under- I, got, I got from Magus Books in Seattle also. And it has um, not only underlining, but uh, sticky note agenda items for a trip to Mazatlan
1: very nice
0: (laughs) drink and sleep
1: yep that's all you're gonna do
0: (laughs) Um, so anyway back to the book (laughs)
1: yes
0: (laughs) yes so I we read a bunch of music books back in 2018 I think it was
1: yeah we read uh, Song of the City like you said and uh, Sweet Soul Music um which at uh, the story of uh, of st- uh, Stax Records um, and other soul music of the of the '60s and into the '70s, and I am totally drawing a blank on the author's name
0: of the of Sweet Soul Music. Wasn't yeah. that Gralnik?
1: Yeah, yeah, Peter Gralnik, who also wrote the great biographies of Elvis.
0: Yeah, and. I think I mentioned at that time that I struggle a bit with reading about music because I don't play it and I I lose a lot of the details that are significant to other people. So I liked this book because I felt like it was more essays, like sociological essays. His point, uh, Grail Marcus's point, is that popular music or rock and roll is not, you know, a youth culture... Thing It is an American culture thing. So he's looking at rock and roll as sort of the the portrait of American culture, right? It, he, what was his quote here? To illuminate the American question.
1: Yeah, like he picked these six musicians or bands that represent what, what he says is the, a recognition of the unities in the American imagination that already exist. So it's it's a very high-minded approach to it. Um, and and, and kind of weaves in literature and history. And, a lot. And, yeah, yeah. And it is a really interesting kind of take on what these artists represent, which is American failure, <laughs> pretty much.
0: Downer, man.
1: Yeah. Gail, <laughs> you're bringing me down.
0: And he, he talks about a lot of musicians, but there were these sort of six that he focused on. And I, I was sort of confused, not confused i was curious about why he picked these six but i i don't think it's ever explained specifically um but there's the two sort of predecessors he mentions are harmonica frank and robert johnson and then the four central chapters are the band sly stone randy newman and elvis
1: and in the in this was before or the the first edition was written before Robert Johnson was really you know well known or, or before you know the the, dis- the rediscovery of of his music and, and written Harmo-
0: before Elvis died
1: right, right and and the interesting thing is is throughout all the different editions, he keeps the Elvis chapter in the present tense even though you know the uh, the publishers wanted him to move it to past tense once Elvis died. Um, but he said it should stay present tense because Elvis still is plays such a large figure in American culture that it's like he's still here.
0: Yeah, I remember when you and I first talked about the book, and I mentioned how shocking it was to get to the Elvis chapter. And he explains him in the present tense, like, Elvis is this, Elvis is this. And like, it's kind of creepy. It's because I've never lived... Like, Elvis died before I was born, so I've never lived in a world where Elvis existed. It's always been past tense. So it was fascinating to read something in present tense that even my edition being, you know, published in 2008 doesn't change that. Like, everything else is is tracking to, well, not in the text. That's a good point. Marcus does point out that even when he makes a new edition... He doesn't change the original text. Everything that he's doing is changing the back pages, which are the sort of the notes and discography. Those were originally like 25 pages and now they're like larger than the rest of the original text.
1: Right. Yeah. It's actually, there's more notes than there are act- actual text now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is amazing to think of, um, you know, uh, I, I'm very old, so I remember when <laughs> Elvis was still alive. And even, you know, even into the sort of decline of his career, he was such a big deal. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know if that was just in my family, because my brother could do an incredible Elvis impersonation, <laughs> even <laughs> even as a very young, young child. Um, but we listened to a lot of Elvis. Huh. And, and it's strange to think of, uh, you know, now he maybe doesn't have the same cultural impact that he did, you know, through the seventies and eighties and into the nineties. Um, but yeah, it is interesting to that. The the text doesn't change, but the notes keep expanding.
0: Yeah. I liked this note. I think this was from the Rolling Stone interview with Rob Sheffield. Uh, Grail Marcus says, my ideal reader Is somebody who trips over a copy of my book on the sidewalk, then they pick it up and read it as they walk. Somebody who comes in knowing nothing, caring nothing, but responds to the story. That's what seems to have happened. It's a book that trusts the reader and doesn't explain everything. Which is, I think, the parts that I appreciated about it. Because I am sort of that person who stumbles upon a book about music.
1: So so he's looking for readers who have stubbed toes yes. and, and read while they walk so they run into things. Mm-hmm. So he really dislikes his readers and wants to inflict pain upon them.
0: Yeah, you know, man, it's one of the things I miss the most about working downtown. Like now that I work at home, I don't walk around reading my book as often as I used to. I used to just like take a break from work and walk along the waterfront and read a novel.
1: I, I can't walk and read at the same time. No? I, th- I think if I tried to walk and read and chew gum, I would actually die. <laughs> I would explode. <laughs>
0: there would be like a spontaneous combustion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: he, d- he just tried to do too much at once. It was, it was more than he could handle.
0: He, he tried the, the head pat yeah. to add to the whole thing and it was <laughs> over. Uh, the other part I loved from that interview uh, with Rob Sheffield was Grail Marcus's comment about his research process for the original 70s edition of the book that he says he had to go to record collectors apartments and sit for hours and hours while they played obscure stuff I would never be able to hear in any other way people I'd never heard of that's how I had to learn I had to go to people who had the records so he's making this point about you know now he can go talk to someone on the street and they can pull up a YouTube video of an old recording, or they can, like, everything is so searchable now. And he didn't have that option when he was doing this. So that's part of why it was such a remarkable collection to hear about these obscure pieces of music, or, you know, especially those two earlier Harmonica right. Frank and
1: and, and, and. and, you know, when I, I put together a playlist for for this book um, and and I'll link to it in the show notes but it it you know it just went to Spotify and there's everything Harmonica Frank ever recorded and and hundreds and hundreds of different issues of of Robert Johnson songs all sorts of obscure Elvis stuff you know tons and tons of bootlegs of of the band and Bob Dylan the the early rockabilly tracks that the band played on when they were still the Hawks. It, it yeah and and Marcus isn't saying that it's a bad thing, you know that that music is so available because you know because it mm-hmm. makes all these great songs accessible, um, but but it, it it makes that the book that much more powerful is that, you know the the research that he had to do, to to find out about these things, and there's some yeah there's something really fascinating about that.
0: Yeah, I don't think he would ever say it's. Like, he doesn't see this sort of rarefied record collectors, privileged knowledge thing as important at all. Like, his, he's very focused on the democratization of information. I mean, his focus on sort of leveling the playing field between pop culture and quote unquote high art is sort of central to this. I, I loved all his references to literary um, texts and, and, there was, where did he first start mentioning uh, Moby Dick? I think it was actually in the Harmonica Frank chapter where he starts saying like, oh wait, let me find, I think I have it here. He mentions, so so I think we've mentioned before that Moby Dick is probably my favorite book.
1: It is definitely your favorite book. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt so maybe about
0: that's that. why. Maybe that's why I got really excited when in like, page 14 of my edition he starts talking about moby dick in relationship to pop music he says um uh how long would ahab have lasted if he'd been up against a howling weirdo like harmonica frank instead of dumb christian like starbuck
1: and and, and to be very clear (laughs) harmonica frank is a howling weirdo his music is genuinely strange
0: yeah (laughs) (sighs) yeah so that the leveling of the playing field of like I'm going to be talking about Sly Stone and I'm going to be talking about Melville and I'm going to be talking about Mark Twain and all these things, you know, go hand in hand.
1: And they're all equals and they all have something to contribute and they're all in conversation with with each other. And maybe, you know, maybe that seems less um, unique, I guess, now. Um, But I can imagine in 1975 that that wasn't really how you approached rock music. Like it was still, you know, kind of a, a throwaway thing. Um, and, and, and and, and kind of weaving American literature and, and history together with rock music, you know, really kind of elevates it, um, or, or gives it, you know, the kind of respect that maybe, maybe it deserves.
0: There was that David Cantwell article. I can't remember whether that was a more recent piece or written one about one of the earlier editions, but he says, um. Quote, I was most impressed by Marcus's characteristically democratic assumption that Presley and Melville were cultural and political equals and were therefore already in conversation with one another, having a dialogue about freedom and limits, innovation and tradition, American dreams and American obsessions.
1: I, I, I think yeah. I might change my name to Presley Melville. Ooh. That'd be a great pseudonym. Yeah. Okay,
0: let's go with that.
1: That's my name from now on.
0: Hey, Presley Melville, how's See, it, it going? See, it sounds
1: good. It's almost as good as Grail yeah. Marcus.
0: Man, that would be a really good penny. Yeah.
1: Okay, no one else take hmm. that. That's mine.
0: <laughs> um, there, there was that other point, speaking of the American condition. So if pop music, you know, he's making this democratic connection, but... There was that piece, oh, yeah, about how he thought the book was depressing when he finished it. And he was surprised that people took it as as enthusiastic.
1: Right, really, you know, kind of, yay for rock and roll, rock and roll will never die.
0: Yeah, he thought that he was making a statement about, you know, popular music, rock and roll as the American condition... It is the it's the failure of the American condition in in this weird way that I don't think it comes across Do you.
1: Kind of like
0: the, the depression
1: it, it, in the sense that I think each of the artists represents a, a different way of failing or being failed mm. by America. Like you know, the chapter of the band talks about how this sort of gang came together. and and formed a community and then kind of gradually fell apart due to drugs and ego and, and the music, you know, suffered from that. And then in, you know, in the Sly Stone chapter, he talks about the weight of being, you know, a black musician and a black star and how the disillusionment, you know, with that role comes out in the album. There's a riot going on. Um, and then you know talks a bit about how you know the really tragic you know kind of, downslide of of Sly Stone's career and in, in life, and and in the the Randy Newman chapter, it's talking about like his songs are all about people, failing and and not being able to kind of see beyond like their narrow worldview, so each each of these chapters kind of, um, they they talk about. Uh, the different sort of limitations of of, of American life, or the the mm-hmm. different kind of boundaries that are, are put around uh, people expressed, you know, in, in these artists and their music, except for Elvis, who kind of transcends everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I just found a in the Randy Newman chapter, uh, he, uh, Grail Marcus writes, rock and roll is a combination of good ideas dried up by fads. Terrible junk, hideous failings in taste and judgment, gullibility and manipulation, moments of unbelievable clarity and invention, pleasure, fun, vulgarity, excess, novelty, and utter enervation all summed up nowhere so well as on top 40 radio. And, and that ultimate rock and roll version of America.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing to think, too, that, you know, in, in 1975, there was a top 40. And now there's mm-hmm. nothing like that. Like one of the you know one of the things i was thinking as as reading this is i have no idea what rock music or pop music is anymore and and that, that truly mm. makes me sound old but i've got no idea like <laughs> what what even is radio you know
0: yeah that's a good point i mean i have already established that i'm not you know versed in in the popular media world <laughs> uh, but i don't even know like i listened to kexp and yet i think that that's its own version of popular it's the you know what when i was a kid it, there was like alternative indie pop and then there was popular rock and roll and they were two different worlds and now there's a whole market of you know the indie world and then there's the popular world but they can all have their own space. So, the I mean, I'm sure there's still a billboard list or something that tells you what's selling the most, right? right? Which is
1: has been so, Old Town Road for the last three or four years, four right. years straight.
0: So that's still kind of the the top forty. It's just by money,
1: right? Right. Yeah. Maybe you know, you know, maybe that the the kind of the catering of of cultural cultural space. So. That so that could just could just into to a very particular, particular type of of indie music that's made that's made with only with gourds ever oh yeah no, no. you can
0: totally get into a silo now in the same way that marcus is saying like you have access to everything like you can look up anything you can listen to obscure you know hungarian throat music and that's all you're going to listen to and you have access to everything so you can live your whole life and not know what any new albums are coming out.
1: Right, yeah. And and maybe the, you know, American culture has been fractured in, in the same way um, be, mm. because of that availability. I mean, because like, if you had Hungarian throat singing, like, why would you listen to anything else?
0: Yeah, why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of a particular band and I don't actually think they're Hungarian. Damn, I'm going to have to think of what, I mean, I can picture their um, album covers where they had they have these big, beautiful fur hats, and it's like two women and two men, maybe. And I I actually heard a live recording of them on KEXP.
1: <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to look that up and put it in the in the show notes. And I want to see a picture of those hats. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah,
0: beautiful hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, speaking of access to music and knowledge about music, etc., 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 why do you think this is on Bowie's list?
1: Well, one view would have it that it just happened to be on the shelf. While yes,
0: he was <laughs> there up. is that theory.
1: <laughs> but but there's pro- probably a better reason than that.
0: I mean, super easy. He was into music, Right. right? Yeah. So if if this was one of the earliest uh, pop culture, rock and roll criticism books, he, he probably would have read it for that reason. Right. And That's sort of the easy.
1: And it, it, I think one reason wasn't because Grail Marcus liked Bowie or oh, Bowie's no. music.
0: <laughs> Quite the opposite.
1: <laughs> why, don't, why don't you give him a bit of his review of Lodger?
0: Yeah, it's funny. Like sometimes we think, I think this book is on the list because they're friends, like Fran Leibovitz, right? They were friends. They knew each other. I think, she, I think Fran Leibovitz is still friends with Iman. So th- those, those are easy reasons. Yeah, I don't think that Bowie was friends with uh, Grail Marcus because I was stumbling around through Grail Marcus's page and I could only find one review of a Bowie album, which was Lodger in 1979. And it starts like this. David Bowie's albums are non-events, though given the aura he insists on, they're half-heartedly presented as such. Time and again, ideas are run up the flagpole, but try and find the flagpole. (laughs) What's Bowie's point of reference? Is it just that he succeeded in replacing Marvin Gaye as Rock's Peter O'Toole? Is he a man of mystery or a mystery man mank? And then there's, like, later on, he became new so regularly that his personality virtually ceased to exist. Dang, girl. a
1: sick burn.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's not really a big fan. He does say some positive things about the uh, period of time when Bowie was making Station to Station, Low, and Heroes. He likes that period. He says, uh, they're intriguing, honest, modern music. S- and they're made for a smaller perhaps smarter audience uh, with an enhanced complex image okay so he liked those but that's not what he's talking about here he's talking about what he doesn't like
1: right right <laughs>
0: um so even despite that and that's around the time this book well i guess it's a couple years after the book originally came out so maybe bowie Read the book originally, and then got panned by Marcus, but he still put the book on his list.
1: Yeah, that's pretty big of him.
0: But or maybe that's it that he can he put it on a list to show that's okay. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to like me.
1: <laughs> I'll still okay. read your book. It's fine.
0: Yeah, it's okay.
1: But um, but the one of the interesting things is, is about Mystery Train is is that it does reference a lot of. The, uh, you know, other, other books on the list, like, you know, Sound of the City. So
0: many, yeah. Uh, Great
1: Gatsby. Uh, we, we couldn't find Maldoror, luckily. <laughs> but it might be in there somewhere. Or, or maybe it'll end up in a, a, a new edition when he adds it to the notes.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, we talked about this when we read Teenage, that I started that whole crazy uh, yarn string chart thing that says all the books on the list connect to Teenage.
1: But I think Mystery Train's right there. uh,
0: Yeah. So now it's a, I I think that maybe it's going to be this um, constellation of a couple of these nonfiction books are sort of the key stars in this constellation that point him in the direction of a lot of other books. Because in Mystery Train, in Teenage, in even uh, Before the Deluge, there's there's a lot of references to other things, mostly fiction, that he then gets from that. Like, oh yeah, that's that's a fascinating point about how, you know, I don't remember who he connects to Great Gatsby in this book. Like, Sly Stone is like Great, like uh, you know Fitzgerald's Gatsby. So I'm gonna read The Great Gatsby, and now that's on my list. Like the the points seem really. When you're reading, when I'm reading through this, I'm like, "Oh, there's one of the books. Oh, there's one of the books," and they just keep adding up.
1: And yeah, and that, that makes sense of of Bowie being, you know, a curious person. I mean, in more than one way. But I can imagine him seeing, you know, the name of a book in something he's reading and, and taking a note and bringing it to the bookstore and and getting it along with, you know, the twelve military histories that he he would get
0: supposedly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's like, "Well, I'm getting some uh, military history books, uh, can I pick up a copy of Knights at the Circus and uh, The Great Gatsby? And,
1: and let me get another Maldoror.
0: <laughs> oh, I still don't know where that one came in.
1: Yeah, hmm. and we may never find out.
0: <laughs> Maybe it was a mistranslation somewhere. Yeah, it could be. Well, we'll keep looking. We'll yep. keep investigating. This is our job. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> which we take very seriously <laughs> we have to figure out why meldor
0: is on the list <laughs> yeah.
1: i will not rest
0: <laughs> oh man um in honor of great gatsby making such a big uh show of appearance in this book we decided to push that one forward on our reading list our so our 2021 reading list is up on our site And I think Gatsby was originally came up in the number draw further down the list. Yeah. But uh, we're pushing him up.
1: Yep. Uh, Because it's now in the public domain. So it's free, free, free.
0: Yeah. Just this was the 1925 public domain opening or something like that. So every year on the first of the year, there's like a list of things that are now in the public domain. And uh, Mrs. Dalloway and Great Gatsby both came up this year.
1: So yeah, I'm excited to read it because it's been since high school and I probably will actually pay attention to it now that I know I'm not being tested on it.
0: Yeah, I think it's been since high school for me too. And I had mentioned to you before you started recording that I had just listened to a podcast uh, in our time with Melvin Bragg about The Great Gatsby that made me want to reread it.
1: Man, Gatsby's everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Public domain will do that, yeah, man.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, speaking of reading, I guess the whole, uh, this whole show is speaking of reading, but what else are you reading right now?
0: I just finished, I think I had mentioned last time, maybe, that I had started Ruth Ozeki's Tale for the Time Being. Hmm. That was a book that I had on my shelf for four years. I, I got a bunch of recommendations from people that I trust as readers and it just sat on my shelf, like it just wasn't the right time, it wasn't the right time. And I was trying to clean out my books, looking for books that I've just had on my shelf and never read, maybe I should let them go. And I started reading it and loved it. And wow. I just consumed it in in a very short period of time. So I was really glad that I'd kept it on my shelf. It was very compelling. Excellent. Um, and I think I also, I just started reading the. Um, it came out last year. The book, uh, *Invisible Life of Addie LaRue*, which V. E. Schwab is like a very notable sci-fi fantasy writer, and this is really different take for her. And I've I've been liking it a lot. It's kind of um, kind of a time travel supernatural story. Uh, but it's really been creepy and fun.
1: Cool. What are you reading? Uh, so I started uh, Bleak House over Christmas break. Um, I don't. Bleak. I don't know why. Um, I just felt like <laughs> having a huge book to prop up while I napped. Um, How's that working for you? <laughs> I'm not going to finish it until next Christmas, I think. But I'm, st- <laughs> I'm still working on it. Um, and I'm also uh, my other uh, Christmas. Relief book was the name of the rose, which I'm still working on. I I really <gasps> love that book.
0: Oh, Umberto Eco.
1: Yes.
0: Oh, I love that book. Yeah. Sean Connery's great in that book.
1: <laughs> yeah. So is Christian Slater. Actually, I've <laughs> I've never seen the movie version. I, I think. I'll, oh, really? Yeah. I've, I've been meaning to watch it. Maybe maybe I'll do that this weekend. Um, but the the other book I I I picked up. Um, or I I got it from the library and then forgot about it. Is a book called *Girls Against God* by Jenny Hval. I think. Oh, which you is,
0: mentioned that to me last week.
1: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting, uh, I guess, meditation about art and patriarchy and control, kind of told mm-hmm. through the lens of like black metal and witchcraft. It's it's a Whoa. it's a really <laughs> a crazy mix of things. Um, but and, and I'm surprised at how much I'm, how much I'm enjoying it.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I, uh, what was the other? Oh, uh, Unclay. That was what I was trying to think of. My partner and I were reading Unclay out loud, which is a crazy story about death, taking a vacation in a little English town.
1: <laughs> okay, that that sounds like a great premise. Is that like, yeah. I, I imagine that's eventually going to be a BBC series, a cozy bbc series about death
0: i don't know this is one of those books new directions released it a couple years ago it was a book that was popular in its time which was the turn of last century and it just fell out of fell out of print and they're trying to bring it back into print so maybe it'll be one of those ones the bbc brings back into interest yeah could be Um, hey what song did we pick
1: Oh, yeah. Sorry. I I totally forgot about that. Um, Because uh, in honor of Grail Marcus disliking Lodger, we decided to pick a song from Lodger. um, (laughs) The song Move On, which uh, uh, I'm not sure who the the writer is here, but uh, it says Move On. Or maybe it's Grail Marcus himself.
0: Yeah, that's from the review. So it was the only song that he spoke (laughs) semi-positively of.
1: He says it's a hilarious rewrite of Ricky Nelson's Traveling Man, a wonderful parody of high-toned escapism. If Bowie's really just a traveling man, as he claims, it's with luggage by Gucci. An <laughs> utterly stirring account of what it feels like to search beyond the borders of the life one has inherited. He makes these intentionally flat, probably intentionally pompous lines seem noble, heroic.
0: <laughs> so that's the the only thing that he found positive about Lodger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he even takes some some pot shots, even in that
0: man, pushing out of the dame, which you know our our standby source mentions um that Bowie had been listening to old tapes and had played all the young dudes backwards, and he's like, "Oh, that's great, and that's how uh move on was created <laughs> Wow so kind of that idea of the the inverted. History of himself and the the mystery train being sort of the history of rock and roll. There you go. There's the connection. There you go. Uh
1: yeah, let let's go with that. That that that's that sounds fine.
0: <laughs> there there it's there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next next up is The Great Gatsby. Um,
0: Great Gatsby.
1: Yep. As soon as we can find our free copies.
0: <laughs> Which I mean I think you can just like search now for great Gatsby and everyone will throw a PDF at you. Right.
1: <laughs> like Leonardo DiCaprio will come to your house and deliver a PDF to you.
0: Take it. Just take it. <laughs> oh yeah. But there's also like libraries will have a, probably a bunch of copies. And I know a lot of libraries are physically closed, but they have some great resources in electronic uh, books and downloadable audiobooks so those are some options too yeah but in the meantime you can of course find us at the bowie book on twitter at bowie book pod facebook at bowie book club podcast and instagram at bowie book club
1: so uh there are your electronic options for getting in touch with us and letting us know what you're reading and how you're feeling
0: yeah, and check out the page because it has all the twenty twenty one books for the year.
1: And uh, a write up on the very f- foolish ways that we chose the books.
0: Mm hmm. I think it's pretty smart.
1: Well, uh, uh, I guess <laughs> that smart is a relative term.
0: <laughs> Anyways, see you next month. Bye. Oh, you really went down on that one. <laughs> Such a downer, Greg. <laughs> you know,
1: the, 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 that's what this book made me feel, man.
0: <laughs> Bye.
1: Move on. Well, I might take a train. Or see the dawn. Might take a girl. When I move on. When I move on. I actually started recording at six this morning, (laughs) so it's, it's about six hours of silence.